Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And it's brought to you by you. Thank you to our patrons in particular, supporting us every week at patreon.com forward slash UK Tech. If you are one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And as of this week, you're going to start getting a very interesting bonus feature every week, but more on that later. Uh, But if you're not yet one of our patrons and like to get our ad-free versions, our extended cuts, our live streaming, uh, access to our Discord members club, and of course, our ongoing new feature teased for a second time then head to patreon.com forward slash uk tech find out how you can support us each week with zero that's zero commitment although some money but zero commitment that's that's the key thing here it's not like getting a dog or a cat is it you can be rid of it the next month well you're far hairier than most dogs that is true you know but i do like having my uh, chin scratched just like a cat and that's why we get on Richard Hanny is our latest patron. Thank you very much, Richard, for joining us. You're in the company of a fellow Richard who's in our live chat room, Richard Taylor, one of our longtime supporters. And thank you to both Richards and indeed anyone, no matter what your name, for supporting us in whatever way you are supporting us. Now, I wanted to flag something interesting that's going to come out on my professional outlet, that is my day job, Bloomberg.com, later this week, because I met up with Christopher Wiley this week. He is the whistleblower behind the Cambridge Analytica um, scandal. So I just wanted to flag that. Um, That's going to be out on Bloomer.com. I will be tweeting that out when it comes out. I think maybe on Wednesday or Thursday, my piece about that. But uh, do check the Twitter account at TextMessagePod and at Nate Langson if you want to look out for that. Well, let's get on with some news, shall we, Ian? A pioneering fingerprint technique used to convict a drugs gang from WhatsApp message, well, from WhatsApp WhatsApp messaging service is the future, apparently, of how police approach evidence to catch criminals. This is according to the BBC this week. This, of course, comes from the the story about uh, an image of a man holding ecstasy tablets in his palm. And he was these were found on the mobile phone of somebody arrested in Bridgend. This was sent to South Wales's police scientific support unit and helped secure 11 convictions, uh, again, according to the BBC. Now, these are believed to be the first convictions in Wales from fingerprints taken from a photograph. The unit's Dave Thomas described its use as, quote, groundbreaking and said officers are now looking more closely at photographs on phones seized for potential evidence. Now, I do like the wording in that that line as well, because looking more closely at photographs figuratively and literally i wonder if that was deliberate i highly doubt it because Mm. it's the bbc but um so i was thinking about this ian this this is the result obviously i think at least obviously uh of high-res cameras in devices you know we've got devices that are shooting not just high megapixels but very high quality pixels within those megapixels because yeah to do this you need a startling degree of accuracy to pursue a conviction Yes, but it wasn't um, it wasn't entirely as straightforward as this, was it? They they had the guy anyway, 
um, and they were able to then they they'd arrested him for something else, I believe, hadn't they? And then they and then they were able to use the fact that they had him to check his hand against the one in the uh, in the photo. I mean, it's it's good police work, I would say. It doesn't doesn't sort of uh, sort of it doesn't feel like it impinges on anyone's rights or anything like that. It's uh, it, it's just good detecting, I guess. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I suppose. Modern cameras. I mean, with this, I've, some people have mentioned this before as a genuine problem. If you um, say, for example, you make a YouTube video and you share your, um, you know, you share a video of your <coughs> your phone screen um, on YouTube, there is possibly enough data there for you to sort of get someone's fingerprint and make a passable replica or something like that. Um, you know, you should be careful about sharing high resolution photos of your hands, for example, online. Um, and it's again, it's just another one of these things, isn't it, whereby you just you don't necessarily think about it. But then when you sit down and have a ponder, you're like, oh, yeah, that could actually be a problem. So whole new world of uh, crime waiting for us. This story reminded me interestingly enough about how this can also sort of work the other way round. In 2015, the US newspaper LA Times reported that a man accused of burglar, uh, burglary reportedly used GPS data embedded in Facebook and Instagram photos to break into people's homes and steal their underwear, according to police. Uh, investigators say the culprit identified his victims by hanging out in public gathering places and searched for social media posts where people provided clues to their location. Then he combed through GPS data attached to the these digital images and mapped them to find out where they lived so that is so much effort to steal someone's pants isn't it and it wasn't just they will do anything won't they it's more that criminals will take advantage of technology that's out there and they can use it in a more risque way than perhaps police are warranted to do so they've always struggled to keep up with technological advancements and it's interesting to see this case in wales about how you know that can really you know, not necessarily always be the case. There was also, I mean, this was years ago, there was a story, I think, where somebody had had their Xbox stolen in a house or in a block of flats, I think. It might have been in the US. And the way they found it was by taking another Xbox controller and walking around the flat until the controller connected to an Xbox, then reported the crime to the police and said, I know that it's roughly within this area because otherwise the, con- the controller wouldn't connect. And the police raided the flats, found the Xbox and arrested the criminal, which nice. I thought was a very enterprising way of finding a, a crook. Um, if you're a criminal and have been arrested as a result of technologically savvy police, uh, please, please let us know what was your crime and how were you punished? Uh, hello at text message pod is where you can send those in or if you are in the police force and would like to tell us more ways that you have caught crooks you can also tweet us too anonymity guaranteed that's the Ian and Nate promise Ian, BT is forging ahead with plans to shut its traditional telephone network in Britain with the intention of shifting all customers over to IP services or IP-based telephony services by 2025. This is according to The Register this week. The closure of the public switched telephone network, which is the formal name for PSTN, but of course, we all know that, uh, is part of plans by BT towards internet-based voice calls via its fibre network. 
Um, as such, it will also then be looking to close uh, a bunch of exchanges. Now, this isn't the first time that we've heard about this happening. There are companies in Germany and Japan and Sweden that have already moved uh, or have begun the process of moving voice to run over IP. Orange, I think, set a, um, a goal of having all of its calls run over IP by 2020. Uh, Orange, that is in France. Deutsche Telekom aims to uh, migrate its lines in Europe by the end of this year. So BT a little bit behind. Ian, I don't know a lot about this technology. It's something I don't mind admitting, but I do know that you do. So, Well, I do, I do a little bit. Why um, don't you open the kimono and waggle your explanation at us? Sorry, uh, that was awful. What a way of putting it. Um, yeah, so... Um, I have a feeling that no one will ever notice this. Do you remember when they the B, when BT sort of started to move to the 21st century network and there was some excitement initially about it, but actually it turns out that no one can tell what the 21st century network is. It doesn't actually make much difference to users. It makes a huge difference to BT and it saves them money because, um, you know, OpenReach doesn't have to provide all the same clunky old services that it used to. Um, but again, I, I what I um, sort of... Uh, drew parallels with here was that when I was a, uh, a bit younger, um, I re- remember BT moving from an analog to a digital network. Um, and what that meant really was that we got rid of rotary phones, which dialed with a pulse, which was a sort of clicking sound you heard on the line. And instead, we moved over to tones, um, which, you know, you, you can hear and they go do 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 do. And we all know what that sounds like. Um, obviously, that was just the bit that you could tell from being a member of the public, um, but there was much more going on. And obviously, when you have a, a digital network, you can put a lot of uh, of the calls over one pipe rather than having to use you know a, a load of each individual line. You don't need to have a phone line for every call. You can put you know put them all together. Um, but again, the, the that was sort of invisible to the public, and the point. I was trying to make really was I don't necessarily think any move to to IP will have any impact on the public. I suspect you'd still be you'd still have the same phone line, um, but the the whole of the architecture around it would change. Now there were some people on the register story commenting, saying that um, it would essentially be they would move everyone onto fibre. Um, and that would be the plan. But I don't think that's right. I think people are sort of jumping ahead of what BT's sort of talking about here. Um, because moving everyone to fibre is not practical and it won't happen that quickly. Um, you know, they're talking about the next few years, aren't they? So I, I really don't think that that's a possibility. I suspect what's happening here is it's just a continuing upgrade of the way that BT runs internally. Um, and if it's not already VoIP, which... I think it obviously is being moved over to because Wikipedia suggests that the that's what the 21CM was all about. Um, you know, uh, it's obviously that's just going to carry on with that and hopefully have it done by whatever it was. It 2020 or something. 2025. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's not a particularly ambitious date, is it? But I suppose... not when a lot of Europe is doing it by either this year or in two years' time. Well. That's the thing, isn't it? And also, I mean, a lot of Europe has, for example, I know that in Germany, I had a friend who lived there for a few years. Um, when you go, you, you know, you, it's all, the internet is, is done very much like a phone service. It's, uh, you know, you, you have a, flats will have a, 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 you know, an internet socket and a phone socket together. Um, so, you know, it's much, it's a much better system. Um, and that's, I guess, sort of the point is that we've kind of still got quite a creaky, not that it's not good, but a creaky phone network that is well overdue for modernization. Um, but BT's doing a surprising amount with 
copper, right? So it, you know, it, it's it's been it's been kept going yeah. by the fact that we've innovated enough, and ADSL has been a thing, um, and so we've managed to sort of scoot around the fact that copper is sort of a a bit not great. One of the advantages of the public switch telephone network that people were worried would go away is that it delivers 50 volts of current. So if there's a power cut uh, at your house, you can still make an emergency call um, b- because it's powered over the over the phone network. Um, that may that well that obviously isn't the case with fibre. You can't put power over fiber um so that becomes uh, more of an issue and you can't um power your home system as easily and the cabinets all go down as well potentially so there are solutions you know they can put batteries and stuff in but you know it's just one of those things it's the the copper network is good for a lot of things well the copper network's still going to be there because the you know the calls might be over void but they're still gonna have to go over something well, that, read read that register article and the comments on it because I mean the, the article is quite clear; it doesn't mention anything of the sort. But um, but the comments are all people assuming that that's what's going to happen that they're going to finish with the copper network. Um, but I don't. That's not that wasn't my take from it. No, I suppose the alternative there is that it's VoIP on the inside of the network, and it's yeah, not exactly, and it's yeah. not it's not VoIP on the outside. You know, to you and I, that would remain the same. Yeah, because basically it's it's already digital, um, but I guess moving it to VoIP just enables them to use much more standardised equipment, which is probably much cheaper. So rather than having to buy specific tele- telephony equipment, they can maybe buy normal routers and send the data over the public network, although it wouldn't go over the public network in reality. Um, it would go over a private network. But yeah, you know, that's I suppose that will help them bring down the cost, essentially. Well, continuing this week's trend of not talking a great deal about consumer technology, because there isn't that much to talk about, we're going to talk about local TV. However, there is a tech reason for talking about this, so bear with us. Ofcom has raised concerns over the economic viability of local TV channels, proposing scrapping any further rollouts across the UK. This is according to a write-up I saw in The Drum this week. More than 30 local stations have already been set up following plans laid out in 2011 by then-Culture Secretary Jeremy Hunt, Uh, but several face financial difficulties and have struggled to find an audience. Now, Hunt's vision at the time was for major towns and cities to have their own local TV stations following the success of a similar model in the US. Now, in May 2012, companies were invited to apply for a license to broadcast in cities, which included Belfast, uh, Cardiff, Glasgow, London. Uh, Successful bidders were given uh, channels on Freeview. However, it's been plagued with problems pretty much from the off. Back in 2014, The Guardian wrote that Ofcom admitted it's, quote, very unlikely that all local TV stations it's licensed will succeed following a pre-launch collapse of one in Birmingham, uh, as well as problems with London Live. The paper wrote that City TV, that's Birmingham's one, which was run by the city's council uh, PR chief, Deborah Davis, had promised to be the first of local TV stations to launch with an on-air date of between Easter and June in 2013, but it went bust before it even started broadcasting. Um, And there was another story when I was researching this that I realised after I'd found it, it was written by a friend of ours, Ian, Claire Hopping, who at, at the time wrote with barely concealed snark, Homeopathy fan Hunt, who's now in charge of life and death decisions as health secretary (laughs) and admits he doesn't watch much TV, warned in June that some local TV channels were bound to go bust. So pretty much from the get go, this has felt like a failed idea. Um, It was 
widely reported at the time to be unlikely to succeed and then stations started failing before they'd even broadcast and now we have seven years later the concern raised by Ofcom that uh, there is economic viability now I think this is coming several years too late um, but it's probably all coming right because we don't need local tv when cities and towns have broadband and can read online news and watch online videos and blogs and things like that from their council so the the, yeah. the the need for a locally broadcast you must sit and watch this program at the time sort of setup just seems it seems incredibly outdated and unsurprising that it's it's failing no agreed and and i think i do think it's a bit of a problem really because um I don't know. It's, I, I always, I'm always very conscious of the fact that I live near London when, when we talk about this kind of thing. And that's a very different environment to um, the majority of people who do not. Um, and th- they will want access to some, some form of local news and uh, what is it we give them. But setting up a network of you know, local TV stations was never the answer to this problem. Um, and that was obvious from the start. It was ridiculous. Um, and well, there we are. We're vindicated, aren't we? Yes, vindicated indeed. Um, but I don't know any... I've never seen one of these local stations. I don't know the kind of content they broadcast. I mean, people in the chat room are talking about the fact they didn't even know it existed in the first place, even though it's been around for ages. It seems like a terrible idea in hindsight. So if anybody is listening and has got one of these stations broadcasting local, locally in their area, I'd love to hear about the kind of experiences you've had with it. And would you miss it? You know, my, I have a hunch that says you probably won't but you never know maybe there's an incredibly popular presenter that's very engaging to a certain subset of a local community that that would probably be missed my guess is that if they are they're probably also online as well and so would be unlikely to be missed from the terrestrial broadcast Uh, but let us know any thoughts you have hello at techpodcast.uk or maybe tweet whether you'd like ian and i to start our own tv service and you can do that by tweeting us at text message pod Ian, it's time to break some new ground, I think, isn't it? Um, I believe so, yes. We're going to break some new ground. Ian and I were at the pub together the other evening. and Where all uh, the best ideas are hatched. Indeed. uh, We were actually joined by one of our patrons, Richard Taylor, who uh, we were were talking, the three of us, about some old blogs that Ian and I used to write. Because, you know, for those of you who don't know, each, know, you know, Ian and I have known each other for well over 10 years and originally used to work at, at CNET, you know, around 2007. And at the time, we were sort of forced, I would say, under a certain degree of duress to write what were at the time called e-blogs for some unknown reason. We always called them personal blogs. And it was essentially mandated that we had to, you know, have an opinion written up every week each. Now, I found a huge archive of Ian and I's old blogs, thanks to the Wayback Machine on the Internet Archive. And I was laughing like a drain at the pub. If you remember, Ian, do you remember how much how hard I laughed? I do remember because, um, I don't know, was it the alcohol? Was it the actual legitimate fact that it was brilliant writing? I very much doubt that. There was one in particular that we were, that we were reading, which I'm not going to go through now because it's... Um, it's tangential to to this, uh, but it was the catalyst for us coming up with the idea where Ian reviewed rather aggressively, let's say, the PC that he was given 
at the company and how terribly it performed. Uh, and we'll include a link to Ian's uh, Wayback Machine uh, blog for those who want to read about uh, how terrible his old computer was. But it's very fun. So what we thought we'd start doing, at least as a trial, for uh, for our for our patrons who are listening on the extended feed, um, we're going to pick one of these each week. That Ian, one week we'll do Ian's and we're doing one of Ian's this week and then we'll do one of mine and we'll kind of we'll just dissect them a little bit put a bit of uh, context on them how have things changed since we wrote these articles you know do we still hold the same opinions um, this week we're going to include you know most of our chat um, on the free feed as well just so everyone can understand what we're trying to do here and then from from next week on um, we're going to use these as a, a bit of a, a thing for our patrons who generally speaking like more of Ian and us and us talking about stuff we think um less about just focusing on on the news but uh shall we get going in i think we should read our own so i reckon you should start reading this give us a oh, headline really? the date of publication <laughs> and uh, also by the way i should point out i didn't pick this one because you open it with a reference to me it was pure coincidence okay fine it's official unlimited means limited the 19th of september 2008 Nate and I both get cross about the abuse of the word unlimited when it comes to download limits on broadband and mobile internet. As writers, we are both of the opinion that there isn't much point having language if tech companies can simply change the meaning of words when it suits them. To combat this, Nate suggested to the OED that it change its definition of unlimited from something without limit to something with as many limits as you like. And while he was moaning to the publisher of the world's most famous dictionary, I was complaining to the Advertising Standards Authority about a Vodafone advert which implied that mobile data tariffs allowed unlimited access to Facebook. It turns out that I was joined by a further 20 people who all agreed that some aspect of Vodafone's campaign was not only an affront to the language, but actually quite misleading and had the potential to cause people problems when they consumed too much data and got a stroppy letter or were charged for their usage. Sadly, the ASA didn't agree with us, claiming that Vodafone made it clear there was a fair use policy and that, and I paraphrase only slightly here, it's okay to change the meaning of the word unlimited because everyone calls it unlimited and everyone also has a cap. So there you have it. Words you thought you understood, you actually don't, thanks to those ignorant, badger-bothering morons at Vodafone. And then I've obviously asterisked ignorant, which means lovely now. Uh, uh, badger-bothering now means kind-hearted, and morons means wonderful humans. Now, I picked this largely because I remember when we were at CNET, we used to talk a lot you and I on the the CNET podcast about how we despised the abuse of the word limited and we weren't alone in doing this but it made me realize that it's been a long time since actually we've had to think about that this seems to be a problem that now has sort of gone gone away like I I don't because they've got rid of unlimited stuff haven't they (laughs) but people don't seem to be bothered anymore by you know by any instance of this like as in rather we tend just not to see anyone using the term unlimited for any of their promotions right this this sort of disappeared at some point in the past yeah i think so and but i mean i guess it doesn't seem like there was ever any pressure from the likes of the asa to make it better i I feel like perhaps maybe they just got sick of hearing people complain about it um and we definitely did when 4g launched we definitely sort of just stopped those unlimited tariffs didn't we there were almost none left um, that offered that it was always 4G's almost always been sold on the basis of you get a certain amount of gigabytes and you pay a certain amount of money each month for it. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think that's fine. Although having said that, my three contract is on uh, an unlimited data tariff, which is fine. Um, although, again, I don't believe it is completely unlimited. I think they uh, threaten throttling if you get up to some amounts of terabytes, which I'm never, ever going to do. So, yeah. Well, I'm looking just a comparison because we talked about this in the context of mobile. But I mean, the same was always true in broadband as well, where, um, you know, it would always be unlimited asterisk, asterisk, um, uh, what was it? Fair usage policy applies. Now, BT, I'm just looking at BT's broadband page, unlimited infinity, unlimited infinity two. It says unlimited monthly usage and there is no asterisk next to that whatsoever. Um, my Virgin Media, I mean, I use about somewhere up to two terabytes a month, apparently, on my uh, connection at home. So I'm pretty sure I don't have any limits on that either. And they, they also claim unlimited. So, but I'm wondering if there's anywhere in the country here still that is enforcing these unlimited um, policies with a fair usage policy. I can't think of any off the top of my head uh, other no, than... I, I can't. I, like you say, we haven't really had a lot of that recently. So, yeah. I know three, I think. I think if you're grandfathered in on three on the mobile network, you might have unlimited, but I think there is a cap on some of that. So it may still exist if you're grandfathered in, but on new contracts, at least, we, we haven't really seen the fair use policy for quite some time. So I like to think, in that uh, as a direct consequence of your writing we have solved this problem i can't see any other reason than when i emailed the oxford english dictionary to ask them to change the definition of the word which i vividly remember doing um i think we solved that problem so historical pat on each other's backs right yeah well done us excellent well, uh, we had an empty mailbag this week for some bizarre reason. It's very unusual. We don't get an email. So uh, we're going to skip over messages from listeners. But if you would like to send in your opinions, it doesn't have to be on anything we've talked about this week. You can just send in an opinion, ideally on tech. But frankly, anything will be considered if it's interesting. Um, but we did get a promotion from our good friend Tom Merritt on Daily Tech News Show. Tom, what's been going on this week? week this week on daily tech news show we talk about how hearables are a fast-growing market for people with hearing impairments discuss france's move to build its own governmental encrypted messaging system decide whether elon musk's advice on walking out of boring meetings is good advice examine the line between unfair ad blocking and unfair personal data collection explore the world of collaborative robots or cobots and even get an inside scoop on terms of service in relation to the gdpr from a very special guest all that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com thank you Tom. And yes, I was on Daily Tech News show this week. So if you do want to listen to an extra half an hour or so of me, um, go and listen to me on Daily Tech News show. I was on Thursday or Friday, Friday, I think. And we were talking about the uh, terms and conditions feature, big feature I wrote for Business Week, which uh, did, as the US would say, gangbusters, uh, which is quite nice to see because i was reporting it for two months so you can also go and read that uh, if you want to read a bit more from me um ian i think that's going to do it but thank you to everybody listening live in our chat room and to our patrons for supporting us every week and to our non-patrons supporting us via itunes reviews and telling your friends it really does help um, we always talk about patrons uh, at the top of the show because obviously that's what's sort of keeping us uh, solvent if you like and we do put out the longer version of the show there's no ads in our patreon ver- patreon version we include quite a 
lot of other stuff in that version as well um, that doesn't go out in the more news news focused uh, free version but that's not to say we don't appreciate everyone for listening and supporting in any way you do because uh, without the free listeners spreading the the good word of Ian and I uh, we would never be able to capture any new patrons anyway so you're all very valuable um, but it would be lovely to have an extra patron by the end of the month versus last month I decided to take that from Tom who uh, does that on Daily Tech News Show they try and end with one patron more per month um, we seem to be on a parity where we seem to gain one and lose one per month so it'd be great to get one more extra but you can find all that at patreon.com forward slash UK tech and I think with that we'll see you next week <laughs>